Welcome to the Danger Room's X-Men First Class First Look, your special edition Danger Room episode for the new X-Men movie. My name is Jeremy. And I'm Adam. We're taking a break from the comic books and going to the big screen because it does seem to kind of dovetail nicely into what we're actually doing with the podcast. Yeah, so why did you have me watch all these trailers? What's going on? <laughs> we're going to talk about all of these trailers. We're going to talk about this movie. This, uh, For those uh, that are listening to this before seeing the movie, I guess I wouldn't say that this is a spoiler alert, but if you don't want to know anything or you don't want to have any sort of maybe Adam and Jeremy insight, it's fair warning. Spo- spoiler yeah, alert. If you haven't watched a trailer at this point, you probably do not want to listen to this podcast. Because <laughs> we're going to give it all away. Although, to be fair, <laughs> neither one of us has seen an advanced copy of the movie or know anything that uh, couldn't just be gleaned off of some internet searches. Uh, so <laughs> keeping that in mind, I think it would be probably be safe to, uh, to check this episode out. Anyways, uh, I, I, it, X-Men First Class. Uh, and here we are reading all of these old X-Men comic books. That's why I had you watch those trailers. Oh. <laughs> Do you get it? We're going to talk about that. <laughs> so before we jump okay. in, why don't we just uh, why don't we play the uh, um, official trailer? Actually, is this is the minute and 50 trailer because the two minute and 40 second one was too long. So <laughs> <let's>, <laughs> we'll do the minute 50. We'll come back and we'll talk about it. And uh, oh, man, I got so many, so many things to say here. So hold on. of this nation to regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba against any nation in the Western Hemisphere as an attack by the Soviet Union on the United States. The cost of freedom is always high. No one can foresee precisely what course it will take. One path we shall never choose, and that is the path of surrender. Ready for this? Let's find out. Listen to me very carefully, my friend. Killing will not bring you peace. Peace was never an option. Whoa. Whoa. Did you see that trailer? (laughs) (laughs) Totally, man. I mean, did you listen to that trailer? (laughs) So the first thing I want to do is... Is let's see if you and I can do this. Let's let's name the original X Men from from the X Men comic books. Uh, you go first. Uh, you mean the the you mean the ones that we've been reviewing? Yes. So we're talking about we're talking about Beast, Beast, and Cyclops, and Jean Grey, or and Marvel Girl, Ar- or, well, not Archangel yet, but not uh, Archangel yet, but Angel, Angel. <laughs> Iceman. And Professor X, right? Those are the those are the uh, original first class of mutants. 
Yes. Would, would you not? Would you agree with that? And then later, would. later on, as we'll get to, uh, Havoc and Pol- Polaris uh, join the cast, mm-hmm. uh, and that's uh, I believe that's all the X Men that actually appear in the. Uh, well, Banshee does. Banshee appears before the new generation of X Men. He he appears oh, as a villain. I didn't know that as a villain. Okay, spoilers uh, okay. as a, as a villain later on. Damn you! <laughs> and and originally uh, he was uh, he well actually not originally he is the brother of Black Tom Cassidy who is the Juggernaut's partner. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, little little uh, little love in there. <laughs> um. So then there's also the X Men First Class comic book, uh, which obviously this is this is title is based upon, and that uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that supposed to cover like the that gap between issue 67 or whatever and 94? I don't think so. Um, I believe what it is is a retelling of the origin, um, like the the first class like beginning story for a younger generation. So it, it's basically a retelling, and you have Wolverine immediately in the, the first cast. and uh, In first class? Yeah. In, the, in the comic books? I believe so, yeah. Oh, okay. I have like one or two issues of uh, X-Men First Class, and I got to be honest, I don't recall what happened <laughs> inside of them. But <laughs> I was looking up on some of the Wicca, wiki, page, uh, wiki pages, and uh, supposedly, uh, actually, you're right. There's a Wolverine First Class. There's an X-Men First Class, which I don't think contains Wolverine, but then there's also a Wolverine First Class. There's a whole series of oh, First okay, Class. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, so the X-Men First Class ends with them going to Krakoa or whatever that island is so that it, it? yeah at least that's what the wiki says I didn't actually I don't have that comic book so you know the wiki could be lying to me <laughs> <laughs> so anyway well, that could be I, I always thought the uh, the first class was just for a younger generation but I could be totally off base there I, I think it is trying to well it's just trying to milk the X-Men title right and it's also trying to create another title and then um, obviously make it a little bit more updated for a newer generation, basically to sell more comic books. But bottom line... Yeah, which is always a good thing. Yeah, yeah. but bottom line, we can both agree that X-Men First Class was, you know, the the original five X-Men. Yes, in the comic continuity. In the comic continuity. Uh, And so this trailer doesn't look to be portraying that. (laughs) Well, this trailer appears to be uh, jumping back... Like, I don't know, a few years before the events of the first X-Men a movie. A few years? So this is, this is the synopsis off of IMDb. In 1963, Charles Xavier starts up a school and later a team for humans with superhuman abilities. Among them is Eric Lensher, his best friend and future arch enemy. And so we know that the later X-Men takes place. So it's about 30 years difference? Uh, I don't know that the... Other X-Men, the other three X-Men actually says, you know, takes place in the year 2000 or 2002. But I think based upon the technology that's present, I think it's fair to assume that those movies take place in 2000. And so for the benefit like a 40 of... 40-year difference. Yeah, and for the... Yeah, yeah. And for the benefit of all arguments, uh, I, I will... Um, even though those movies were made years apart, I, I'll say that all three movies took place uh, in 2000. How's that sound? Just... just we'll, we'll, okay. We'll, we'll be getting back to some continuity issues that I, <laughs> I have, and I'm sure maybe you have as you're thinking about them. <laughs> um, um, so, 
I don't know. I, I have some notes on the uh, director and the cast, if you'd be interested to go through those. Sure, shoot. So it's directed by uh, Matthew Vaughn. The other ones were, were directed by, well, the other first two were directed by Brian Singer. And do you remember who the third one was directed by? Uh, Brett Ratner. Brett Ratner, yeah. I don't know. It was what... supposed to be directed by Matthew Vaughn, but he oh, okay. had, like I guess, family obligations or something like that. And then Brett Ratner, the director of Rush Hour, Rush Hour 2 came in. And wrecked it. Well, yeah, that's what everybody <laughs> says. But honestly, I feel like X-Men, what was it, The Last Stand? Yeah. Um, it's kind of the return of the Jedi for, of this series. It's universally panned as the worst one. But yet, it's got this this kind of, it's like action scenes that are well done that don't, uh, very little story-based movies. Um, like, the, the action kind of drives the movies, and they're kind of a little bit cheesier and a little bit hokier. But the but what I like about both The Return of the Jedi and X-Men The Last Stand is that we're already familiar with all of the characters. And it's kind of fun and the action drives the story forward. And the action's not bad action at all. It's just both movies are kind of lacking story. I have a feeling that you and I are going to have to do another a return to the X-Men movies and have a one-on-one uh, -on -one debate I, with about the, the original trilogy. I also disagree trilogy. with most people about the first two movies. I like the first one. I don't like the second one. We're going to... That's a podcast for a future day. <laughs> 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 we're going to watch those movies, and we're going to come back to these mics, and we're going we're gonna to do an episode just uh, on that because we have some things to talk about. But let's stick with the first <laughs> class uh, uh, movie here in question. So Matthew Vaughn is, okay. is directing. Um, I got to be honest. Everyone's directing. Yeah, I got to be honest. I, I didn't know who he was until I w dug through his um, IMDb credits, and he directed Kick-Ass and Stardust, which I... Um, actually, I've seen all of his movies, believe it or not. I've seen Layer Cake, and I've seen... Uh, Layer Cake, I put, I believe I put in my Netflix queue around the time that he was scheduled to... Uh, direct x-men 3 okay and, um and i i guess he also passed on thor oh uh, is, yep i think i read that too yep and uh and then i happened to see stardust in the theaters without knowing that it was him and then and then when he did kick ass i was uh i was more familiar with him as the the x-men guy oh, okay so i saw stardust and and really enjoyed it and had no idea that matthew vaughn was the director uh, or the producer to be quite honest Oh yeah, I guess he's he's produced more movies than he's directed. He has, and Layer Cake I looked into. That looks like a good movie. I'll probably be adding that to my Netflix queue. So he's got doesn't have a lot of movies under his belt, but I mean the few movies that he does have are are well received and and I enjoy. So yeah, Layer Cake was pretty good. It wasn't. It's not the greatest movie ever, but it's like a good little indie flick. Okay, he also produced Daniel Craig before he's James Bond. Yep, I saw that in there, which kind of made it uh, somewhat appealing, I guess, or compelling. Yeah. He also produced Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch, two movies yeah. that I liked. So, oh yes, yes, he was uh, he was the best man at Guy Ritchie's wedding. Okay, I did research too. <laughs> wow, nicely. Guy done. Ritchie's uh, Guy Ritchie's wedding to Madonna. Okay, okay. You've heard of Madonna? Uh, I'm. A, she's uh, uh, she's a pro wrestler, I think. Something, something <laughs> like that, from the '80s or something. I don't know. Uh, it was written by Ashley Miller. And Zach, it was written by four people, so that also kind of uh, kind of scared me a little bit. But Ashley Miller yeah, is and, that what's that? That could be a good thing or a bad thing. It could depending be depending on who those four people are. 
Well, I, so at first I'm looking at it thinking like, oh boy, this that doesn't it, that doesn't bode well. It just means like this script got passed round round and round. But Ashley Miller and Jack Stans, uh, Stenth both uh, wrote Thor. Well, I guess this doesn't bode too well. They both wrote Sarah Connor Chronicles and Agent Cody Banks. <laughs> Sarah Connor Chronicles was an excellent show, but um, <laughs> Spider-Man Two, Spider. Well, I got <laughs> it was a good show. Uh, Spider-Man Two was uh, a script that got passed on from people to people, and uh, still managed to be the best of the Spider-Man trilogy, in my opinion. Sure. And then there's Jake Goldman and Matthew Vaughn. Uh, I guess they're a team, and they worked on Kick-Ass and Stardust. So, eh, that doesn't look too bad to me, you know? Yeah. And then I started looking at the cast members. Oh, man, I got so many notes, but I don't know if I need to necessarily go through them. Mystique is played by a Jennifer Lawrence, who apparently hasn't been in anything. Well, I didn't recognize her from the trailers. Uh Moira McTaggart is played by Rose Byrne, who was in Get Him to the Greek, I Love You Too, Knowing. That was a dumb movie with Mick, Nick Cage. Uh, oh, I liked that movie. Did you? You know, yeah, I gotta we, be honest. We barely disagree on all movies. Hang on a second. <laughs> Let me back up a second. I shouldn't have said that. I have actually not seen that movie, but based on the trailer, oh, well, I had okay. assumed uh, yeah. that it was a dumb movie. It's a, it's a little, it's like a sci-fi thriller. It's not great, but it's, uh, it's actually high high uh uh high par uh better than a usual nick cage movie okay compare it to uh did you see the butterfly effect i liked the butterfly effect compare it to the butterfly effect um because i like the butterfly effect was surprisingly really good i expected it not to be okay um so it it is it like the butterfly effect it is surprisingly good. It's by the guy who directed uh, Knowing is by the guy who directed Dark City. Okay. So he's he's a decent director at least. All right, um, all right. If you like Dark City, which I do. I don't think I uh, saw Dark City. Hmm. But well, okay, but anyways, I mean regardless, yeah. I I'm going to take your word for it that it's a good movie because I actually went into Butterfly Effect thinking it was going to suck and actually can kind of enjoyed it. So I, I could be wrong about my uh, impression of the Yeah, trailer. I would say Knowing is probably not as surprisingly good as Butterfly Effect was, but it's still surprisingly good. Okay. So she was also in uh, a couple of other films, including 28 Weeks Later, which was okay in my opinion. Yeah, I don't, I, I honestly, I don't recognize her from anything. So. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, she, I think she was the older sister in 28 Weeks Later. Hmm. Okay. So anyways, uh, she uh here's here's where i i run into my first problem uh <laughs> in x-men 3 i'm sorry not x-men 3 oh yeah in x-men 3 she looks like she's about 30 right you get a couple of clips with her right at the very beginning of the movie and at the end of movie and uh, in x3 i think however in the tr- oh, yeah that's right yeah at the very end she uh professor xavier wakes up in that guy's body and he's like hey moira and she's like Charles and the movie ends or that's like the after credits scene or whatever uh, but she's in the first class trailer also and she's also looking about 20 to 30 years old so that would put her mm. at about 67 yeah. in uh, if you were to follow continuity uh, I'll, uh, I'll buy it I, uh, what how can you, you buy know. that she doesn't look 67 she, in X3 yeah well Patrick Stewart doesn't look you know that young or that old either he's but you know he just looks older that's all that's all you really need is to look older she doesn't look older though 
She looks like a young lady in X3. Yeah, well... And she looks like a, you know. a young lady in 1963 in this X-Men First Class movie. Listen, there are some things that you were going to have to let go in order to enjoy this movie. Because I'm sure when they were shooting X-Men 3 and they cast more McTaggart, they were like, well, the next one we're going to do is a flashback. Ex- so we better get an older lady. Exactly. So you just have to, you just have to, next time, if you ever watch these in order, which I don't know why you would, uh, when you get to X-Men The Last Stand, you need to say to yourself, she's older than she looks. And and then you'll be okay. You are no better, one's gonna be. You are better <laughs> at suspending your belief than me, then, because I've got lots of problems here. <laughs> and that this is just the, the first real, one. The only real continuity issue I have is, um, and they may cover this by just completely changing the story. Is the whole uh, Alex Summers Scott Summers relationship? Yeah, yeah, I got notes I, I on that. In the comic. Uh, Alex Summers is Scott's younger brother? Alex Summers is Scott's younger brother. That's correct. So in this, he's clearly his 40 years older brother. (laughs) Well, I did some math here. So in 1963, Alex looks about 20 years old. Mm -hmm. So that would put Alex in 1979, which is about the timeline for X-Men Origins Wolverine, put Alex at about 36. Scott, however, in 1979, as his sub-story is going through, looks about 16 years old. And that's giving him some credit. So that puts Scott at 37 in the year 2000 and Alex at 57 in the year 2000. That's a 20-year gap. And yeah, it flip-flops well, who is the younger brother and older brother. Movies, so, and he obviously never will. <laughs> All right. Still have some problems with that. But anyways, <laughs> well, okay. Do you do you buy the main characters that are in, like, do you buy the change from uh, Professor X to the older Patrick Stewart Professor X, or no, uh, old Fassbender's <laughs> young Magneto to uh, uh, who is the actor who played Magneto in the, the movies? Yes, and I'll tell you why. Um, you buy that one, but you don't buy Professor X. Yes, and I'll tell you why. Uh, okay, Michael Fassbender. Uh, who who was in Inglorious Bastards, by the way, as Lieutenant oh, Archie yeah. Hickox. Um, okay. <laughs> he uh, in nineteen, he looks older than Professor Xavier, so he looks like he's about uh, thirty in nineteen sixty three. So if you add on however many years, he's about sixty seven years old in two thousand. I buy that because he looks okay. like he's about sixty seven. Magneto looks like a an aged man in in two thousand. Who is and the actor who plays him? Uh, Ian McKellen. Sir Ian McKellen. Okay. Uh, yes. James McAvoy, maybe he's an older guy, but he looks like he's about 20 in that movie, in the first class movie, which puts him at about 57 in 2000. And that I can kind of buy, but they went and showed uh, Professor Xavier in 1979 getting Scott, and he looks, he doesn't. We only saw him from the back. No, you saw his front, you saw the front of his face. Watch that movie oh, again. Yeah, right. and he reaches all, out his hand. It was like a CG. It was a CGI Patrick Stewart. It was That's right. Well, yeah, and, and he looks. He, Did he have hair? He was bald, but I mean that's explained away in the story that he lost his hair at a very early age. But he still looks. He still looks old. <laughs> he, he so 1963 to 1979 is what 16 years or something like that. He doesn't look like he aged very well in 16 years. He looked like he aged about 30 years in 16 between McAvoy and Stewart. All right. Well, do you buy Beast? <laughs> no and i'll tell you why <laughs> so a couple of reasons uh first of all 
Um, I buy that Beast is a young guy in 1963. That I can get by. And, I, and if you were just to take Beast from first class and Beast from X, was he in two or three? He was in three. Three. Uh, played by... Um, Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. I, buy, I would buy that transition. Uh, the problem is, I think it's an X2 or maybe X1. They do a quick clip of Hank McCoy weighing in on the mutant debate. And he's hmm. normal. Uh, and he actually looks, he, he looks like a, a Hank McCoy. He looks like a, a, a non-blue furry Hank McCoy. He's kind of heavier set. And he's got like his glasses he's on. probably got, uh, what was it? Uh, Nightcrawler had that image inducer. Oh. So for the, for the sake of continuity, let's say that Beast does his interviews with an image inducer. All right. I would have to watch those three movies again because he didn't seem like uh, uh, in the blue Kelsey Grammer uh, um, movie, he didn't seem to be going out of his way to hide his blue furry identity. Oh, what can happen between <laughs> X-Men and X-Men 3? <laughs> all right. If we're going to go with Image Inducer, then then you throw all of my arguments in the garbage can. But that's that's the... <laughs> that, there you go. So I guess... And that's what I'm here to do. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot, buddy. So I guess I'm kind of curious because it looks like they make his uh, transformation from uh, Hank McCoy to Blue Furry Beast in the same movie because there's one shot, I think, of him flying the plane and he looks back and he's all blue and furry. And there's other shots spread throughout the trailers where he actually is growing fur on his hands. Yeah. Now, do you remember in the comic... I'm speculating that somewhere in the comic book he's trying to do a... Uh, do do some sort of making some formula to make himself normal, and he ends up giving himself blue fur. That's yeah. my guess. I don't. Yes, you're 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 mostly right. I I don't remember exactly. He was making he was working on a formula, and he took the formula, and it went wrong. So you're right. That's what happened in the comic book. But well, maybe it's maybe maybe it's what happens. Well, in, in the comic book, wasn't it an X Factor that he was like kidnapped by somebody, and they did experiments on him or something like that? I seem to recall him being strapped down to a table and coming out of it blue. Hang on a second. So in in the event, it was either in the Avengers or in the Defenders, he took that serum and then turned blue. Oh man, was I that yeah, yeah, yeah. X- yeah. And then in, okay, and then in X Factor, uh, in the first few issues, I think he's blue and furry. Oh man, I got to go back to my X factors because somebody did kidnap him. Yeah, he was blue and furry, and then um, Artie—I can't remember what his last name was—but he was a—he uh, could—he could think up pictures. He was kind of like a precog, but he was mute, and he was also mutated. He was—he had like ugly blotches on his skin and stuff, and he was a real young kid. But he could uh, project the future uh, to people, um, and that's how he kind of talked. And so his father was like. Uh, bent on finding a cure for his mutation so he kidnapped beast uh gave him the serum or whatever wrapped him up and then when they unwrapped they they captured him and i I think he died um not the beast but the guy the father or whatever but when they unwrapped the beast he was normal hank mccoy again uh but they had lost the serum so they weren't able to give it to Artie, and hence Artie went on as a pink skin blotchy dude for for the rest of his life and then i don't know like then at some point they went into like the whole Marvel second mutation, uh, mm-hmm. if you remember that. And so the original Beast... Well, you kind of have to because uh, Emma Frost threw in, in both in her appearance in Wolverine Origins and also this movie apparently has her secondary mutation, yeah, yeah. which is 
the diamond skin. Yeah. So I think the secondary mutation for Beast is what brought him to the blue furry um, Beast again. But there's a difference, like, in the... Well, actually, it turned him into, like, the big dog-like creature. Like, he's all... He's more like a cat, uh, though, isn't he? Yeah, a cat-like creature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, his secondary mutation turned him more into, a, like, a cat-type beast, whereas his um, formula turned him into kind of like a kind of like a wolf or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so... Whatever, blah blah blah. So I guess if you're gonna go in the image image inducer, we'll 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 do that then. <laughs> um, I wanted to point out. Uh, let's see which one. I think it, the 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 orange teleporting guy. Uh, I think his name is Azazel. At least there's a um, IMDb credit for him, and he was a mutant that was introduced way later in the X Men uh, lineup. He was actually interesting. In- extra dimensional character or something that the X-Men helped escape or something like that. Yeah. I was wondering who that was. So I went through and looked at his list of uh, titles and he's kind of like Clint Howard. He's been in a ton of movies <laughs> and, you're, and he's just, hmm. in, he's in movies that you, you, you've seen, but you probably don't know who he is. And so he was in, yeah, so he's a character actor. Yeah. So he's in clash of the Titans, uh, kick-ass curious uh, case of Benjamin button, stardust transporter Two, layer cake, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Snatch, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Hmm. He goes way back, and apparently, uh, um, what's the, what's uh, uh, Vaughn Matthew Vaughn likes to carry this guy around with him, you know, because he's in all of yeah. his movies basically. So, yeah, every director's got their guys. So, so there you go. Um, yeah. So who else do we got here? Um, we've covered most everybody here. Another guy I have a problem with is Shaw. Okay. He, Why is that? Well, he's played by Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and Kevin Bacon, you probably remember from Friday the 13th and I think Tremors. That's about it. I think he, he kind of panned out after that. But, uh, no, uh, I don't know. I just, I just don't pick your Kevin Bacon as a, as a Shaw. Shaw was one of my favorite, um, villains in the X-Men universe, the leader of the Hellfire Club. And he, in my opinion, needs to be um, a little bit larger, not fat, but just a little thicker. And he needs to have uh, a British accent. Hmm. Yeah, details like that don't bother me. Um, <sighs> really? I'm kind of excited to see the Hellfire Club, see what they're all about, because they, they, they have very little presence in any of these trailers. And uh, I, that, that kind of interests me. The less I see in a trailer, the more interested I am in it. I, I mean, I guess uh, I don't mind Kevin Bacon either as an actor. I, I think he, I like I like him as an actor. Um, and I guess I can also buy it. It's 1963, so he could be a younger, slimmer Sebastian Shaw. However, the Hellfire Club wasn't introduced until Chris Claremont's run, so it's a little out of context. Uh, that sort of stuff doesn't matter in the movie universe. What? I'm just. I'm, I'm sorry, dude. The, the movie universe just is not the same. You gotta let go. I can't. Nothing is ever gonna change the comic books. That's true. You gotta. If it was exactly the same, we'd be complaining because they were the exact same stories. Maybe you would, but I wouldn't. Because <laughs> I've got ideas. I got ideas for the the sex tup, tuple. The the do the two trilogies that I would do if I were in charge of Hollywood. Things would be changed. We got time. Apparently, Matt Vaughn is already talking sequels. Yeah. Well, I'll have to give him a call. Anyways, uh, <laughs> so there's um, you were t- there's the um, the girl with the wings who is topless. Uh, if you recall that scene uh, from the yes. trailer, 
Her name is Angel Salvador. Right. She, she's and she, I believe, is um, a character in the comic, a current character in the comic, who is a teleporter named Pixie. That's my. Uh, that I don't. That I think you might be right about. She's got wings, though. Yeah, Pixie has wings, and okay. they're like little dragonfly wings. I think I I don't have that in my notes, but I I think I saw that in her character bio. Uh, but um, so yeah, so she's seen topless and spreading her wings. Oh yeah, she, Pixie seems or should the uh, this Angel Salvador character seems to be giving a striptease to Professor X and. Magneto in the trailer. She's in some sort of brothel or something like that. Now, do you uh, did you read? There's a there's a section of the Uncanny X Men, right about the time that the uh, okay, so right about the time the X Men title turned into New X Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uncanny X Men also changed writers. Uh, I, I read something about this a while back where they basically the the helm changed and there was a big shakeup at Marvel and every title got a kind of a reboot. Uh, so that introduced like the new X-Men where they had that whole Genosha destruction thing, whatever. But over on the Uncanny X-Men, there was a, a writer. I read his uh, an interview from him. He's like, I hated the X-Men, and then they made me write the X-Men. So I wrote the <laughs> worst X-Men I could possibly write. Or it went something like that. And so, Well, that explains that because <laughs> his stories were terrible. Do you remember that? I mean, do you remember the counterpart yeah, to I- new X-Men? Yeah, I was reading at that point, and it was just like, it, I just remember, oh, this is horrible. It drastically changed into this unrecognizable title of maybe maybe an X-Men that you recognized was in there, but mostly it was just these weird mutants doing weird things. And one of the things that they had were X-Ranches. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And so the X-Ranches were basically bastions of mutant prostitution right so you could uh you could hire a ex-prostitute essentially something like that yeah and then then an ex-prostitute uh joined the team oh it was stacy x um yes that's what it was stacy x who uh was a prostitute but joined the x-men but then continued to have like illicit affairs with like strange men or something i was like that's not the x-men i grew up with (laughs) Yeah, and she had like some sort of fling with Wolverine, which was like, uh, come on. All the love should be wholesome, and it should be Wolverine trying to get Jean Grey and Cyclops and Jean Grey trying to get married, but never getting it together. And then Jean Grey dying. That's how the love should work in the X-Men universe. <laughs> okay, so that's that character. Um, Banshee, uh, that's okay. Banshee's cool. Um he was in No Country for Old Men as Boy on Bike, so <laughs> he's made he's made great great strides uh, in uh, his movie career. Um, the black guy is named Riptide, and do you remember who uh, Riptide was in the comic books? No, Riptide was an uh, was a marauder. And he was like an old white-haired guy or girl. It never really says. He's got, he or she has really long white hair and spins. And I think Colossus killed him. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you remember like the mutant massacre, like around 213, 214-ish. Or no, it was a 211, 212, something like that. That's where they introduced those, those, the marauders. Yeah, I remember the marauders. Yeah. So that's, uh, so, and I think he is the one that's, no, the one that's being played by a 
Hmm, I can't remember. I think he uh, Riptide is the one that's being played by a black by the black guy. Okay. Just so you know, yeah, so, little little departure from the comic book, but whatever. Oh yeah, that was like uh, the I just saw the trailer, the official trailer today, and that was the first time I saw the black guy, and I was like, oh, there's <laughs> a black gentleman in this movie. <laughs> How about that? How about that? Um, and so that brings us to now. Uh, there's more characters, but the last one that I want to talk about, Darwin. Uh, who is kind of a featureless boy. I don't know. If you watch all of the trailers, I think there's at least one trailer where they feature this fe- feature. They show this featureless boy, and his, hmm. his name is Darwin. Uh, here's his mo- movie bio. Crank, Gone Baby Gone. So, so far, so good. I didn't see Crank, but Gone Baby Gone was good. Twilight, My Bloody <laughs> Valentine... New Moon, and Atlas Shrugged Part 1. I'm hoping that this guy doesn't have a very big part in the movie because I already don't like him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So do you remember uh, who Darwin is in the Marvel Universe? No idea. All right. So he was introduced in X-Men Deadly Genesis number 2 as one of the uh, original X-Men that Professor Xavier went to uh, collect after the original X-Men were captured by the island. So it was kind of one of those retcons that Ed Brubaker wrote. Oh, okay. I haven't read that. It's um, not a bad I'm, series. I'm familiar with it, but yeah, it's it's. I have it somewhere. It's not <laughs> it's not a bad series, but anyways, that's that's who he is. So, so there you go. Um, uh, the one that you didn't mention that I'm the most intrigued about is January Jones as Emma Frost. Ah, uh, sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, as uh, I've been watching a lot of Mad Men lately and uh, January Jones, I can't see her as Emma Frost, but I that doesn't mean that she can't play it. But okay. she plays her character in Mad Men so well that I can't imagine her as anybody else. And you, with a name so, like January Jones, you, you have to either um, be a musician or be an actress. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, so, so Emma Frost is another character that I, I guess I, I do buy because in um, the 63, she looks like she's about 20. Uh, and then in Origins, where she was next portrayed, that would put her at 36. So I could buy that. She works. She works for me. Okay. <laughs> I approve. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, yeah. Emma Frost, Jeremy approved. Plus... <laughs> I mean, Emma Frost, you know, I don't know exactly. I mean, I looked at some of the pictures of January Jones and I have not seen Mad Men and, and that's not for not wanting to. I just haven't gotten around to it because I hear it's really good. Uh, but January Jones doesn't really look like an Emma Frost to me. Yeah, exactly. She looks a little too young and um, I don't know, not quite evil enough. I don't know <laughs> what exactly I mean, eh, but... Eh. Yeah, and so some uh, a little bit of trivia here. Uh, Matthew Vaughn instructed the cast to do away with all accents in their performances, hmm. which is a little disappointing. Uh, James McAvoy had uh, planned to copy Patrick Stewart's voice. Now, I don't necessarily think that they need to copy uh, the voices, and I don't actually think it's necessary for Professor Xavier to have an accent. I think the only reason he does is because Patrick Stewart has an accent, quite honestly. Um but, I mean, in my opinion, I don't know what they're going to do with um, um, Emma Frost, but she should have, like, a sultry British accent. 
Well, she doesn't need to have an accent so much as just have a like intonations of a very um, wealthy. Yeah, exactly, wealthy. Yeah. She should she should sound wealthy and privileged. Vaughn also told which Willis, oh. I could see Emma Frost pull, or um, uh, January Jones pulling that off. Actually, does, I mean, does she is she British or is she? Uh, she is neither British nor does she play the wealthy in. But she is sort of privileged in Mad Men. Okay, but. Um, she feels as though she's it's just a really good character it's it's hard to i don't know i'm I'm looking forward to it that's all i gotta say <laughs> all right um vaughn also told rose Byrne that moira mctaggart would not have her trademark scottish accent in the film oh, that's disappointing her that name is, is McTag- disappointing <laughs> her name is mctaggart for god's sakes <laughs> um let's see here what else um you're okay with the mystique connection right Oh, actually, yeah, you're, you know what? That's that's a huge one to pass by. I am. Um, and, and the reason why is uh, she's a shapeshifter. She's a shapeshifter. <laughs> exactly. She can be however old she wants. And actually, in the comic book, in some of the issues, I don't remember exactly where, it's it's um, hinted at that she could be well over 100 years. I mean, that could be just yeah. another one of her powers. So uh, it looks like at the beginning of the movie, they show her as a little girl, um, I guess, it would also indicate, though, I mean, obviously it indicates that Beast and Mystique and the Professor have a relationship, uh, which doesn't seem to... This is where I know... This is where I get tangled up in the whole movie continuity. There's no glimmer of acknowledgement in X-Men 1, 2, or 3 when the Professor sees Mystique. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And obviously yeah. they hadn't written it like that yet, but yeah. to me that, that bothers me because, you know, it, it would be much more compelling in the first X-Men movie if he's like, Mystique, uh, Raven, I haven't seen you in a long time. What's going on? Oh, I see you're evil. Well, that sucks. Let's fight. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not Maybe not that kind of dialogue, but I don't know. Well, does she have a lot of interaction with the professor in the first three movies? Because the trailers that I've seen, they show her meeting the professor but they uh they really kind of the the trailers that focus on relationships with uh, mystique are generally beast and magneto yes and that's Mag- true Magneto and the magneto one uh is pretty clear that they're right kind of she's going to follow him in the end um you know i guess i would have to watch the original three movies maybe Maybe they are smart, smarter than me, and maybe Mystique and the professor never actually had a like, like a "Hey, how you doing?" type of a moment. So, uh, what are you thinking based on these trailers so far? Um, I'm thinking that it looks not great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, there's one other thing I wanted to hit on uh, that was. Um, at, at first, when I had uh, watched the, or when I had heard that they were making this trailer, I was I, I was wondering myself um, whether or not it was kind of a, a reboot or if it was going to fall within the same continuity. And apparently, um, there was a MTV interview uh, where I can't remember who it was, um, but some producer, some writer said this is going to be taking place in 1963 and it'll be all of the original x-men from the comic book and it's going to be a, in a completely separate uh a universe than the x-men movies that you're familiar with and then there was a oh well <laughs> yeah and then there was a follow-up mtv interview in which they said 
no, this follows the continuity. So we can't show Angel because we saw Angel in X3 and blah, 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 blah. So, so there you go. Uh, so I guess that answers that question. It is in the same continuity. How do I feel about it? I, I don't know. I just, I guess I'm a little, I, I think they've been a little fast and loose with their mutants <laughs> throughout all of the yeah. movies. I kind of, yeah, well, you know, I mean, there's a lot less time to establish things in movies than there is uh, in the comic books. I agree with so. I agree with that, but I mean, there's no need to in, uh, introduce a character and then have that character killed immediately. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of fan service with like, oh, this is this guy and this is this guy. Let's throw him in because fans like him. And yeah. So when X-Men 1 came out, I mean, I had there was no problem I had with that cast because you could flip to some of the early issue 200s of, of X-Men and you could see that particular cast uh, being the X-Men. I had mm-hmm. no problem with that. It's just as they continued to go on, you're right, they gave a lot of fan service by adding all of these characters and I think wasting a lot of uh, mutant potential. Well, I think the, uh, like... I'm honestly not going to watch this movie with um, a sense of continuity. Um, it's all, the continuity is already screwed up with the whole Wolverine origin Sabretooth versus X-Men 1 Sabretooth. Yeah. Unless those are like two completely different <laughs> characters. but <laughs> And there's no explanation for that at all. Oh, that was clever. Explanation? Oh, that's not what I meant to... I didn't mean to make that uh, cleverness there. No, There's no reasoning given for why uh, Sabretooth is articulate in Origins and just a tool in X1. Yeah, exactly. So I've, I've pretty much, like, you know, the, the continuity is very loose. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I don't feel that it's that important to enjoying this film. See, I take I, I'm a, on a completely different page where I think continuity is the most important thing, because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, when you when you write these, so when they went and did the X Men Origins Wolverine, they said, you know what, uh, who's X Men or who's Wolverine's arch enemy? Oh, of course, it's Sabretooth. So now we need to retcon Sabretooth, even though we showed him as kind of an idiot in X One, so that we can have a movie. And I think that that's lazy writing, and it. Uh, it treats your audience like like um, I don't think it services your audience to the best benefit. And I mean, probably for X uh, Wolverine and two, they'll retcon Lady Deathstrike because they screwed her up too. <laughs> yes, they did. Didn't she? Didn't they kill her? Yep. Oh yeah, and I mean that's that's the, I guess that's the thing is that I mean when they give these movies to people that don't maybe that aren't fanboys i guess because brian singer never read a comic book uh before doing x-men and now he's the comic book guy right <laughs> the comic book movie guy anyways right yeah. oh if a, if a superhero movie's failing give it to brian singer he'll fix it except for superman um yeah i don't think he has much credit <laughs> at all anymore <laughs> that could be Last i heard he was planning on rebooting battlestar galactica oh okay again well, that's a safe bet no he's a he's a producer on this first class movie Oh, is he? He is, yep. Oh. Uh, but anyways, if I, if I were to do uh, if I were to do it all over again, and you could start anywhere in there, but it just seems to me that when they write these movies, they don't <clears throat> they know that if it's going to be successful, there's going to be sequels. So they don't why don't they 
plan all that stuff out ahead of time. And they don't have to, like, write scripts and cast people. I mean, if they just did, like, rough outlines of, like, here are six movies. We're going to start here, and if we're picked up, then we're going to go here. And if we're not, well, we'll just put this on the shelf, and maybe somebody else someday will make this. And the answer is because they don't have to. People still go see them. (laughs) And you will still go see them. Honestly, the only reason I'm going to go see X-Men First Class in a theater is so that we can do the follow-up episode uh, (laughs) for this show. Uh, Otherwise, I would wait for that thing to go to DVD. Yeah, but you would still see it. Oh, of course I'd still see it. I mean, I'm going to go see Thor and Captain... I'm going to go see all those Marvel comic books, movies. Maybe not in the theater, but I'll see them in some form or another. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I guess they got me either way, but it just seems like it could be so much more enjoyable and you could still create a compelling story, you know? Well, of course, I mean, it seems like they're actually taking what you're saying um, with the whole Avengers thing now. Now that they know that there's an audience for it, they're actually kind of planning it out. I'm going to be so disappointed if at the end of the Captain America movie he doesn't fall into the ocean and freeze what seems like to death, and then in the beginning of Avengers 1, a submarine doesn't fall, find uh, uh, Captain America. If that doesn't happen, I'm going to be so angry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to write a letter. <laughs> to who? <laughs> to Hollywood. Dear Hollywood, I quit you. <laughs> we'll no longer watch any more of your movies. That's just me, though, I guess. I don't know. Uh, and maybe I'm just too wrapped up into it because I feel the same way about what they did with star wars yeah they kind of forced that all into a box that it didn't necessarily fit into and that's what irritates me though i mean i think i think x-men i think all the comic book movies i mean who do those movies play to they play to obviously the comic book fan yeah, but the people that make movies don't know that yet, or didn't know that yet, around the time of the first X-Men. You have to remember, the first X-Men was a total shot in the dark. I know, but it actually followed, I thought, pretty closely to a, a, a good X-Men comic book. And could have yeah. been contained within... Um, what we got you, lucky. Continuity, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you could have taken that movie and still not ruined a first-class being Iceman. I mean, why you had to make Iceman a teenager when... Cyclops is an old guy. Just doesn't make any sense. And why you had to make Angel a teenager also in the third movie and only have him appear for like 35 seconds in the entire film makes no sense. None of that makes any sense. It's all all about fan service. I kind of wish this... I mean, I'm going to treat this as a reboot either way, but I kind of wish this was a total reboot. If it was a total reboot, that would be fantastic. Because then you could do... You could basically do... You could do what you're doing now because the Cuban Missile Crisis is very similar to X-Men number one in which Magneto steals a missile from a military base. Mm -hmm. That storyline works for me. Uh, So you don't have to do it on a missile base. You do it at the Cuban Missile Crisis and you make Magneto the bad guy there who's who's instigating it. And somehow you wrap it into like a factual history thing, which appears to be what they're going to be doing in this movie. Which is exciting to me. I mean, it looks like they're actually going to try to tell a decent story and not just have it be an effects-laden last stand fest which i still say was a good movie but anyway (laughs) then the second movie sentinels the original x-men you could introduce if you if you want to do some fan service you can introduce havoc and polaris at this time and you do sentinels because we haven't had a sentinels movie well sentinels appeared in the first uh, in x-men 3 in the first 10 minutes in the danger room so that didn't count (laughs) completely out of context again fan service oh 
oh, it's a sentinel head. Oh, what are, what's this movie about? We're fighting Magneto again? Great. <laughs> <laughs> Third movie? You, uh, you, you, the world's your oyster, but you have it end on the whole island Krakoa thing, right? They save the world, but they get trapped, and Cyclops goes back to the professor, and you have somewhat of a happy ending, uh, even though the X-Men are trapped. And that's when you do the second trilogy, which is the Chris Claremont, the finding of Wolverine, Storm, Colossus, etc., and then the rescue <coughs> of the original X-Men. Yeah. Fifth movie, more Sentinels. <laughs> you do the Days of Future Past storyline. That's what you do for the second movie. And then the third movie, mm, Dark Phoenix. I wouldn't worry about it. I mean, in 10 years, they're just going to reboot it all anyway. So. Well, Hollywood, if you're listening, I've just laid out my six movies. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I know somebody who would love to not write it, but be there when somebody else is writing it and get paid a lot of money. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I'd be that guy. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, as far as this film goes, I have very, very low low expectations and low hopes and it almost feels well, to me that's like that's good it almost the, the, usually the best movies are the ones that you have lo- the lowest expectations for yeah but i'm gonna feel cheated because i feel that i should have expectations for it now if they would have just called this like um super team alpha you know and it wasn't the <laughs> x-men and it was people with superpowers getting together as an origin story team then I go in that movie with those expectations and I probably enjoy it. This just feels like we're going to stick the X-Men name on it because it sold a lot of tickets and we're going to try to fit some X-Men lore in there, but it just doesn't feel right at all. Yeah, I suppose. I, I, I got to admit that the X, X-Men that they've chosen for this movie are pretty weak. And why? Because they've been fast and loose with all the other X-Men. Yeah. Havoc. <laughs> well, and Havoc's a good character, but, you know, you, you do... You, you Havoc, are, you, Havoc's probably the best, which is pretty sad. Out of all of these X-Men? <laughs> yeah. Um, Banshee? Oh, my God. Don't yeah. get started with Banshee. <laughs> He's also supposed to have a Scottish accent, and I'll bet you that he won't. Nope. Um, I think she's got red hair. It's true. Beast looks like he'll probably be the most interesting piece of the movie. But I mean, when you're relying on beast to carry your movie <laughs> and Havoc, I suppose, but I don't even think um, when I was going through the IMDB credits, I don't even think Havoc was featured in the main set of credits. I think you had to go to more details to get his name. So huh. he may, he and Banshee certainly, I might be wrong about Havoc, but uh, Banshee certainly was in those, those extended credits and not those main credits. So all of those character bios you saw, that might be all of their scenes. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, that, actually, that, that doesn't bother me because I wasn't too thrilled with the choice of characters. I, I As long as they focus on the... Um, Relationship between Professor X and Magneto and the Cuban Missile Crisis and mutants and humans and then that'll be that'll make a good story. Throw in the Hellfire Club, but I still have no idea what they're doing there. Then it could <laughs> it could still be pretty good. They needed a bad guy, so they grabbed the Hellfire Club. Yeah. Um, so the other thing, it seems to me like uh, with the X Men. The way I understand it with a lot of these Marvel titles, I think they're almost all owned by Fox. Um, to keep I think all the movies were put out by Fox, yeah. 
Yeah, so like, and I shouldn't say own, but I think all the rights are currently, a, Fox has all the rights for the movies. But Disney owns the comic books, and I think Disney would love to get their hands on the film rights. But I mm. think there's a clause, I read about this somewhere, there's a clause in there that says, if you have the rights and you can continue making movies every X amount of years, you can. It, you don't have to renegotiate the rights or something like that. Hmm. That goes back to that whole Fantastic Four thing. I don't know if you heard about the controversy surrounding that. No, I, but that's, this does sound similar to the reason that they're rebooting Spider-Man so quickly is because they need to retain the rights and, to it, or Paramount does. So there was this low-budget studio that owned Fantastic Four rights from like the 70s or something, and their contract was coming up. So they made this movie, and I have it on DVD. They never sold it. They just made the movie. Uh, and, and and because they made the movie and they did something with it, in order for Fox to make the movie, they had to bid for these rights and they had to give this studio an ungodly sum of money to buy the Fantastic Four rights off of it. Uh, the movie is terrible. The actors are terrible. The effects are beyond terrible. Um, it's like a Roger Corman classic, wasn't it? It's I don't. It's of that ilk for sure. I don't know if Roger Corman has is involved. Maybe he is, but it's definitely of that ilk. Um, so there you go. That's that's kind of my 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 thought on why they're doing this particular type of X Men film. Yeah, that could be. That's disappointing. And it's certainly X Men first class. <laughs> Thanks. Um, sorry. And you're and it's and you're certainly right about the whole Spider Man thing. That's why they're rushing out for a reboot of that thing. Although the details of the reboot keep coming out, and it it sounds like it might be all right. Except for the costume. I can't get past the costume. I haven't even looked. i got to be honest. Yeah, it's not the original costume, which I don't know. Why would you bother? Yeah. Uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man costume was next to perfect, I thought. So. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Uh, and it also explains why Hulk has been made uh, twice, even though it failed twice. And they're, they're recasting it for Avengers, or they're recasting Bruce Banner for the Avengers. Yeah, and that's fine. <laughs> Even though yeah. I like I liked Ed Norton as Bruce Banner, just didn't like the whole. I liked whole uh, I liked the first guy. Oh, Eric Banner. Yeah, I liked Eric Banner. Ugh. Maybe it, that movie was just so horribly boring to me. Maybe that's why. I thought the second one was pretty boring. The second one, they were both the bad. Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton and Liv Tyler. Neither one of those were very good. Let's just <laughs> suffice to say that. How's that? All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, anyways, uh, yeah, that's that's your first look at uh, uh, X-Men First Class. Do you have anything else that you wanted to hit on? I think we hit on just about everything. Yeah, we're sorry to bring you so down, folks. I, <laughs> I feel bad. Mm-hmm. Bring on the depressathon. <laughs> it's not depressing. It's, uh, you know, maybe we're completely wrong. This is the greatest movie that's ever been made. I'm still looking forward to it. <laughs> well, I'm not. <laughs> but we'll get back together uh, once the movie is out. Uh, a week or so after, we'll get back together. And I don't know if we're going to be able to do a whole hour on it, but who knows? Maybe we will. And then we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. But, uh, but yeah. <laughs> final thoughts. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I got another. Those were my final thoughts. Okay, <laughs> uh, so yeah, join us. Uh, join us next time in the Danger Room for uh, a comic book, not a movie. Uh, and visit us at uh, redcatproductions.com forward slash Danger Room and email us at Danger Room at redcatproductions.com. Leave a comment. 
something. Hello? Are you out there? iTunes, iTunes feedback. Yeah, yeah. iTunes feedback. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. And uh, until then, the Danger Room is closed. <laughs>